So, hi, this is Angela Treat Lyon at MyDareYourRadio.com, and you are listening to Daring Dreamers Radio. We bring you massive information, powerful support, and uncommon resources for you daring dreamers. And today I have somebody that I've really looked forward to interviewing. Her name is Cynthia Sue Larson, and she's the Quantum Jumps Queen. <laughs> She has a book called Quantum Jumps, An Extraordinary Science of Happiness and Prosperity that has just come out, and I've been reading it and having such fun with it. She's also the best-selling author of High Energy Money, which I've also been reading. We'll talk about that today, too, because it's got some very cool little tips in it. She got a degree in physics from UC Berkeley, and she's a coach. And she's been interviewed on the Discovery Channel, the History Channel, and BBC. I mean, she's some kind of gal. When she's having fun, you can find her conversing with physicists and cognitive scientists in search of the quantum paradigm. How do you like them apples? I like that a lot. And she does a lot of meditating, practicing martial arts, and she hangs out with very cool people like George Weissman, who was featured in the book, How the Hippies Save Physics, and UC Berkeley professor Yasunori Nomura, as well as UC Berkeley's Henry Stapp, and her friends Fred Allen Wolf, who was the funny guy in uh, <laughs> What the Bleep, he was one of my favorites, and Dr. Larry Dossie, as well as neuroscience researcher and author Sean, I don't know how you say this, Sean O'Neillian. Yeah, that's good enough. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so there's many more, but they're currently some of the biggest influences in her, Cynthia's research and writing. And believe me, she's done a lot of research and writing, and it's very fascinating and easy to read. It's not hardcore scientific yawn as you go along writing. And the cool thing about quantum jumps is that she makes it really easy to understand and she gives you little exercises at the end of each chapter to do that take you in the direction of doing of using quantum jumping, which is I think is just terrific. So Cynthia, thank you so much for being my guest today. I really appreciate your coming on to the show and I look forward to speaking with you. Welcome. Oh, thank you, Angela. Well it's such a joy to be on the show for me, if I can tell you that. Because I, I love your <laughs> Your lively yet down-to-earth approach to just conversation and also bringing out really interesting ideas that perhaps have never been discussed or explored. And I I share your passion for doing just that. I really love that. Love that you, love that about the show. So thank you so much. You're welcome. It's really a pleasure to have somebody who's so knowledgeable be my guest. And I love to talk about raising consciousness so you know, I'd do this all day long. <laughs> so, Cynthia, I want to start with a quote that you've got in your book here, uh, Quantum Jumps, which, you know, let me take a, a little cut here. You can get your book on your website, realityshifters.com? That's right. And if you buy it there, I can autograph it, put some really wonderful energy into it before I send it off. So a lot of people love oh, to that's order great. the book from the website to just for that purpose to get an inscription an autograph just you know something a little extra and special which oh yeah (laughs) very good you know that's much better than getting it on amazon so 
Sorry, Amazon. You can get it there, too. And some people love that for the free shipping, you know, the combined shipping and all. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I'd, I'd rather have your signature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that, too. I like that energy from the author. Yeah, so in this quote that I was talking about here, it's a quote from one of physics' most famous men, Max Planck, or Planck, I guess some people say it. Uh, he says, I regard consciousness as fundamental. I regard matter as derivative from consciousness. We can't get behind consciousness. Everything we talk about, everything we regard as existing, postulates consciousness. I mean, that gives me chills because consciousness isn't tangible. It's this invisible, unknowable, unnameable stuff that permeates everything. And we very conveniently say everything is energy. So when you talk in your book about quantum jumping, it's magic. It's just magic. Let's start off with talking about everything is consciousness. What do you say? Well, I love that quote that you mentioned because, um, and I start the book off with that, the beginning of chapter one, because I really want people to understand, and, and this is not just anybody saying these words. For people who don't know who physicist Max Planck is, he's also known as the father of quantum physics. He's the one that chose that word quantum that de- describes that very small, discrete packet of energy, uh, which is sort of the basic fundamental building block of all of reality. So people are often familiar with molecules that have atoms, that have electrons. And when you get down to the indivisible so-called building blocks, these are quantum particles. So this idea of consciousness, wow, 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 wow. I am so grateful that Max Planck really got that. And I wish that we had retained that sense of wonder at the fact that consciousness is so fundamental because that seems like the big aha statement that all of quantum physics is really grabbing us by the lapels and showing us. It's basically saying you can't ignore consciousness anymore uh, because what what happens with what I describe in my book Quantum Jumps is, and, and this wasn't known right from the start, but um, what, what I'm describing in the book is that these quantum jumps are actually happening at all levels, not just at that very microscopic level, where we would expect to see some spooky action at a distance and quantum weirdness and things that we really can't explain because the observer absolutely is affecting what's happening on that quantum level. What I'm proposing and presenting in the book, Quantum Jumps, is that these things, these large-scale changes can occur just all around us on every level, every scale, including all the way to the biggest scale of the solar system and the universe. So it's basically a pretty huge um, observation, and I think Max Planck just nailed it right out of the gate. He just said, consciousness is fundamental. And when you take that seriously, and you don't just assume, oh, no, it's just it's only fundamental at the very small scale, then you can ignore it. Once you get to a certain size, then it doesn't matter anymore. I'm sorry, I'm laughing. <laughs> it's ludicrous, you know. But somehow uh, we bought into that because we wanted to pretend that we could conduct an observation in an experiment and the observer would have no biasing effect, you know, even though that's been seen to not be the case in studies such as those carried out at the Institute of Noetic Sciences here in California, where I live. So it's, well, I mean, ignoring that whole premise, 
defies the word fundamental. I mean, the word fundamental means the basis of something, and you can't you can't say, well, this will work for the small stuff and not for the big stuff, or else it isn't <laughs> fundamental <know>. anymore. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> although it does, yeah, it reminds me of some politics, you know, with taxation and so forth. Like the little guys have to pay taxes. You get to a certain level, and you don't. You know, it's like, oh, well, wait a minute. I'd say, wait a minute to both those. <laughs> Like that doesn't make well, that sense. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know it's funny how we do ignore those things. I mean, wasn't it Einstein who said that the field is the so governing agency of the particle? It's the same theory. It's very where similar, the field yeah. is consciousness. Right, and and it, well, I think there's a bit. Uh, obviously, each physicist has his own viewpoint and worldview. Max Planck was actually quite spiritual, and he really had a sense of something bigger than us being out there and wanting to get to the core of it. And I'm not saying Einstein didn't. Of course, Einstein did too. But um, I think what was really amazing to me about Planck is that he basically, and I include another quote in the book, I, I basically share the, the um, his observation that a man who's devoted his whole life to science and matter, um, what he's been able to say as a result of all his research is just that there is no matter as such and that all matter originates and exists only by virtue of a force which brings the particle of an atom to vibration and holds this most minute solar system of the atom together. And, and then that's where he continues on. We must assume behind this force the existence of a conscious, intelligent mind. This mind is the matrix of all matter. So he was the first one to use all of these ideas together, you know, Max Planck. And I, I think that's, extremely important because when when you look at the ideas I present in quantum jumps such as an explanation for why the placebo effect has doubled in the last 30 years so in other words why is a sugar pill suddenly working so well in fact sometimes better than pharmaceutical medication and when that sort of thing starts happening that's when um, lots of scientists and universities sit up and take notice and start spending millions of dollars to figure it out because now it's starting to matter. You know, something is going on. And, and that's even including when you tell people that they're taking a placebo. As long as you also mention that the placebo has been proven to be extremely effective for a lot of people, then boom, you've got phenomenal effects. And we're talking 30 to 40% and up to 70% positive results from doing something that has no known you know, mechanism for working other than power of thought. Huh. I, I, I wonder if it's – wait, let me slow down here. Um, my thoughts are racing. So the placebo effect has increased. Even if you tell somebody this is a placebo or this is a sugar pill that has been found to be effective, doesn't it matter what the languaging is? And, and wouldn't you say that it's the intention rather than just the thoughts? Lots of things matter with the placebo effect, and, and it is being studied, so we, we can start teasing apart the variables. One of the variables is the placebo itself, and if it looks like it's really doing something, like it's a bright red, bigger pill than the others, um, then those placebos work better, bigger, brighter, colorful. If the person administering the placebo looks like they're in a powerful position of authority and they're dressed in an impressive way, like with a white laboratory coat, and looking very sharp and speaking with an educated vocabulary and assuring the person that 
that they are giving them something that has been proven effective. And all of these things make a huge difference in efficacy. As, and those are all things that are very um, much you know, part of the scenario of administering the placebo. There's also another factor that's extremely important and extremely helpful, and that would be the person's faith or their degree in spirituality and how, how much feeling that they have that there's some kind of, you know, something bigger than themselves. And to the degree that they really believe that, they get greatly enhanced placebo results. That's pretty phenomenal. Wouldn't you agree that it's a combination of preconditioning, you know, like you were talking about the, the physician's white jacket and the authoritative air and the way that the, the pill or, or the surgery or whatever is introduced to the person plus the person's faith. But what about what about the conditioning where somebody might say, well, I don't believe this is really going to work? Yeah, that would be interesting to do some research and see to what degree that matters. I, 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 from what I've seen so far in the studies I've read, it does help when the person gets the instruction that, um, that what, what's happening will be effective, that they believe that on some level that it's at least possible. They believe they've got some chance rather than thinking, oh, it's a lost cause and what I'm doing is completely pointless. You know, So it does seem like it is helpful. And I think that's why people respond better when they get a more invasive surgical procedure, which also tends to be helpful, You know, even if it's placebo surgery where there's an incision made, uh, maybe the surgeon is um, you know, just probing around and cleaning something out but not really doing anything useful and then stitching the person back up. But if the person, when they awake, the, the patient sees, wow, there's some stitches here, that's very helpful to them to believe something happened. And then in the case of arthroscopic knee surgery, they can have a placebo knee surgery and suddenly feel like, wow, my knees work again. I can play basketball with my grandchildren. And this really happened to some military veterans who went through these placebo surgeries uh, when it was first conceived as an idea to test that out. I'll be darned. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? It is really amazing. And it, it, to me, it tells us that there's a lot going on here that when we think as if something is working and make that mental jump, you know, really do what Max Planck is talking about and recognize consciousness is fundamental identify with the consciousness and then subconsciously we just we subconsciously make that jump and you know the subconscious mind is running 24 7 that that part of us never sleeps whereas our conscious mind the, the one that we think is running the show is actually only operating you know if we're lucky like two-thirds of the time and otherwise that subconscious <laughs> mind is running lazy the thing <laughs> <laughs> well we have to sleep and the subconscious really takes over Oh boy, you're not kidding. Well, let me let me back up here because um, you mentioned something about the word quantum that, that I want to clarify for people that struck me when I read your book, which was when we hear the word quantum jump, for instance. I think a lot of people regard that as being an enormous jump from here to there, whereas you describe quanta as being a minuscule measurement. And it made me think of um, when you start off on a journey of 100 miles, let's say, and you deviate in your path by, let's say, one degree at the beginning of of your journey, you're going to end up in a completely different place at the end of that journey once you've deviated than you would have in the first journey. So that one little tiny degree 
could be compared to a quanta, couldn't you compare that in saying, you know, one quantum jump could be almost unmeasurably small and yet end you up in a completely different place at a certain point? Yes. And I think I liken this, I use an example of branching in a tree to show that same concept of starting that journey of a hundred miles or a thousand miles with a single step and you could make it just a small one centimeter change to that first step and it'll vastly affect how things turn out perhaps you know 100 or 1000 miles from now but this is the way nature works and nature um, in this quantum way of thinking and I, and I really talk about welcome to the quantum age in the book quantum jumps because we need to start thinking differently. You know, for many years in our Western schools, we've been learning things based on this very, um, very mechanistic viewpoint, um, but it's based on materialism. So it's a materialistic viewpoint where there's a preconceived notion or an assumption that you can't just have a sudden shift, a sudden change. You can't go from being sick to well. We assume that growth spurts even, when a child is growing, are probably happening gradually, even though we observe that you can measure a child's height from one day to the next and notice that that child might have grown an inch overnight. You know, this is, is not unknown. It has happened, you know, definitely at least a centimeter. And so with things like that happening and we start noticing, wow, maybe nature really does move in a big spurt, you know, that's, that's kind of like um, when... Darwin was looking at the origin of the species and evolution. You know, sometimes things can really happen quickly. And this is much more the natural process. Even the gait in a horse, going from walk to trot to canter to gallop, you know, those are four different gates, but they're um, very variable. But the horse has this mm-hmm. sense of, I'm going to switch my, my the way I'm running. I'm going to switch the way I move my feet. And all all of nature, all the animals, including us, and all the plants, are doing these things. It's it's this field that's brand new called quantum biology that's only 10 years old. You're going to see that word quantum in front of every single science. And <laughs> because that's what's happening. And in fact, we're going to get that word quantum in front of statistics, and it's going to affect our mathematics as well. So we're about to see some of the biggest changes ever in our history of Western civilization with a whole new way of thinking. I'd like to see a, a quantum bank account. <laughs> that can happen too, and I talk about that in High Energy Money. You know, if you're reading that book too, then you, it's very interesting. You know, you really can go from having not enough money to suddenly there you've got enough, and lots yeah, of people some... experience these things. And money can just show up in your wallet, can show up out of thin air, can show up in the bank account. So these things do happen. They've happened to me as well. It's pretty fascinating. Let's let's talk let's talk about how you make a quantum jump because you say it here in your book by clearly observing the possibility you're thinking about and supplying sufficient energy, you can make a leap into that alternative alternate reality. Now that's a lot of concepts in one little sentence. Let's talk about the, the various segments of the sentence. Clearly observing the possibility supplying sufficient energy, and the leap. What do you say to that? Right. Well, I like the example of just um, getting out of, cold, out of bed on a cold morning when it's just really cold outside of your bed and you're cozy 
and you, it's really difficult to make that first move to get out of under those warm, comfy covers. And so it, it is just as simple a thing as that, just making that decision. So you know there's another possibility. You could be choosing at some particular given moment, not just yet because it's still too cozy, but at some moment you know you're going to do that. You, you're going to switch. You're going to be getting out from under those covers and stepping out onto that cold floor and that chilly air. You know you're going to do it. So you're imagining that that possibility exists, waiting till you get that energy burst, um, which might be because you need to use the bathroom or want breakfast or you just have to go to work or whatever. So you're just waiting, waiting, waiting till that energy sort of rises up. And you know it when it happens. You can feel it. And then you make the move. So that's, I know it doesn't sound like a quantum jump, but in my opinion, we're doing these things all the time, every day. And most of our conscious decisions are involving basically a quantum jump. We just haven't been recognizing that this is going on. Now, now my book also gets into some pretty extraordinary situations, but it does start off with these very simple examples showing that even things we haven't thought of as being quantum jumps really are. So it's not like it's not like you're lying there in bed and all of a sudden you get this rocket burst of energy. You just simply have decided and you move. Right. But the fact that we can do that is um, extraordinary. And people may think, well, that's not extraordinary. Okay, well, then how about another example? And this one is, you can go up the scale from not very extraordinary to extremely extraordinary. <laughs> so just uh, let's nudge it up the scale a little bit. The next level up would be, feeling sick. You can tell, like, oh my gosh, I'm getting that flu that's going around. Oh my gosh, I really don't want this. You know, my nose is plugging up. I can feel it. My throat's getting sore. You, you know, all the symptoms are coming on and you, someone that you know that you're close to has had them and you know, like, darn it, I've got this rotten thing and I can't afford to be sick. Okay, so what happens next is, okay, so what happens next is do you recognize that there exists a possibility of not being sick and you feel like you can't afford to be sick. I have to give my presentation today. Everything depends on it, or whatever it, it may be. You know, I have to make this trip today. I have to do something. I can't be sick. As soon as you recognize that there's another possible state for you to be in, and you raise your energy, recognizing there's no way I can be sick today, you're basically saying no to it. And you're feeling a rush of energy coming in as you do that, a lot of people, including myself and maybe you, have made that jump. You know for sure you were getting sick. And then suddenly, it's as if you're getting over a cold you never had. It's like you're on the tail end of it instead of the, begin the start of it. You know what I'm mm. talking about? Yeah, I do, actually. I do. And, and have you ever heard of the, uh, the tool called EFT, the Emotional Freedom oh, yeah. Technique? Yes, yes. But I use that a lot because, you know, there are times when I just don't feel particularly 100%, and I'll just change my state using that. But what does a person who does not have a tool like that do? We've got these placebos are all around us. So you can actually use a placebo. It could be EFT. I'm, I'm, what I'm basically, I don't actually say this in the book, and here's something I've never said anywhere. I'm about to say it on your show. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, what I'm actually proposing is that pretty much everything that humans do is some form of a placebo, including Western medicine. And so I'm not putting EFT down when I say that's a placebo. I'm saying all of these things are. You know, basically they're all like Dumbo's feather. And all that we really need is just to have this very clear sense of being pure consciousness that that's who we really are. 
and that this physical world is just an illusion. This is actually what the great teachings from most of the spiritual perennial traditions will will tell you, is that what you see around you that looks real, that's very material, is actually not. But instead, it's basically a manifestation that comes first from consciousness. That, In other words, we're dreaming this reality and... You know, this, this is what you hear about when you hear that it's this whole world is a, just illusion. It's a dream. And this new physics, this quantum physics, is basically showing something similar when we recognize that you, you are consciousness. Therefore, you can dying to suddenly being alive. You can be thrown clear from an accident when there's no possible way that could have happened. And I describe things like examples just like this in the book Quantum Jumps. Lots of people experience spontaneous remissions where they've got a broken bone and suddenly they don't. They've got a gaping hole that's gushing blood and suddenly it's healed. They've got a tumor that's the next day it's gone, like like it never existed. And so these are things that are definitely happening. And so there are lots of different placebos you can use. In other words, what I'm suggesting is everything is a placebo. You can use EFT, you can use Reiki, you can use chanting, um, you know, so in my book, I'm just I go through just steps that you need to have. You need to be able to envision that there's another possibility. Do something that energizes you, and take some kind of action. That's why placebo surgeries are so effective, and placebo pills, and even getting into the cockpit of an airplane and playing with a flight simulator can improve your vision 30 to 40 percent. It's been proven in controlled studies that this actually works. You know, people who worked with a real operating flight simulator where an actual captain's pilot's uniform and when they come out of that experience they perform much better on a vision test than people who are just working with kind of toy simulators wearing, <laughs> wearing just some kind of jacket yeah <laughs> really that's amazing that's right well let's 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 go back to the word placebo because you say in your book here even the word placebo although it has a slight stigma to it, it means in Latin the translation is, I shall please. I really like that because that means that, that if I use a placebo, I'm going to please myself. I right. think that's really cool. Right. And I think I think the placebo has kind of had a bad a bum rap, which I think is getting turned around now as we are witnessing this stuff really works. And, you know, it's amazing. And we need to find out what's going on with that. And you're right, this this whole idea that it, it initially means I shall please, um, I think that gives people uh, a little bit of a sense, I'm glad you felt that way, that it's positive, you know, that basically it's something that's there to serve you. I think sometimes the, the downside of pleasing is that people might think it's just some sort of a short-term effect or it's, it's just um, not necessarily in your best interests. So I think it's important to recognize with the placebo effect and you know getting into this mode of quantum jumping, whether it's with EFT or with meditation or with lucid dreaming. You know, those are some tools that I mentioned in the book. You know, it doesn't. You don't need to invest hundreds of dollars in training or anything. You can recognize that these mechanisms to bring about you know the I shall please placebo effect or quantum jump. You know, are are they're abundant? They're, when we were children, we'd get a placebo kiss on our injury. Like if we fell down and cut our knee, we'd get the band aid. It would, you know, we'd get cleaned up and put have a band aid put on it by our mother or caregiver. And then often we'd get a kiss to make it better. That's a placebo effect. 
you know, so a kiss is like EFT. It's like like any of these things, you know, whatever it is that you're doing that helps you feel like I'm doing something, I'm changing it right now. It can be just a mantra. A lot of people use mantra meditation and affirmations. That can totally work. So it can be any kind of system that you have. I love EFT because I practice martial arts, and you know what you're doing is you're tapping the same energy meridian points that we learn for um, you know when we do control techniques to move a person's body around. You know it's a very similar thing. So you're learning how to work the energy meridians um, in, in addition to breathing and making a clear statement. So EFT is powerful because it's putting things together. I oh yes. Don't get me started. So, <laughs> but I, I really I want to go back to the to the belief because there are times when in my life you know people have tried to help me, but my belief that things didn't work or wouldn't work got in the way. And I love your story of this woman Julia who started to get sick, and she says, "If reality shifts are real, then one can happen right now." And she says, I love this. I dare you, Flu, to go away. That, that is so cool. It's like you're talking to it as an entity and, and just going, get out of my face, Mama. I don't want you here. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I mean, it's getting like, playful with reality. You know, I love that. Yeah, I mean, we're not like, taking it so seriously anymore. Right. And this is a really great concept that you're in dialogue all the time with consciousness all around you. So you can have conversations like that with anything, whether it's the flu or, uh, you know, whatever it is that might be troubling a person. You know, it could be a money problem or a relationship problem, and somebody's the person you want to talk to isn't there. But guess what? The consciousness is, and you can absolutely have that conversation with their consciousness and often get yeah. amazing results as well. But, yeah, I love that story, well, too. I, I have a thing where I yell at Spirit, and I, I'll go, Spirit, you got me into this. You get me out of it. <laughs> <laughs> and it works. It works. because I'll, And I think it's because, number one, I've made the decision that I want to change. Number two, I've got the desire. I've, I'm putting the energy into it, and I'm telling consciousness what I want to do, and I'm visualizing the exact opposite or the, of what's going on or an alternate reality that I desire. And so I put all the, the pieces into place, wouldn't you say? Exactly. And this is the way that quantum processing, this, in the quantum age, you know, things really do operate that way. We, they operate from this place of recognizing that we exist in a superposition of states. That's not just a flash-in-the-pan concept of maybe we do. That's, that's absolutely true. And a number of physicists are agreeing with that. So it's not just that a quantum particle could be here, could be there, could be anywhere. But it's true of you and me and everything. And then an as far as explanations of what does that mean, you know, then we start getting into ideas like maybe we live in a multiverse, which is what I'm proposing in the book. Um, but there are other explanations. Lots of physicists have their own ideas. Um, but anyway, I'm not going to go too far afield there. What I wanted to emphasize is exactly what you're saying, that um, this is a big quantum idea, that all these possibilities exist, and so it's not just the situation that you currently are in. That's a huge jump for a lot of people. And so th they turn to things like EFT, um, or in this case, just talking to spirit. That's very powerful. You know, having that conversation with oneness. Because when you do that, you're basically raising energy. You're in now in a conversation 
with all of existence. And basically, you know, whether you call it God or spirit or divine source or oneness or whatever word you have for it, some physicists call it the census taker, you know, that which knows everything, all decisions that have happened and all information. So, you know, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't even care what we call it. But whatever you choose to call that, spirit, God, oneness, source, uh, when you have that conversation and you say, I, you know, you've got to get me out of this, then that's another way of raising that energy, recognizing other possibilities exist. And then it's implied, of course, that you're willing to take some new action because you know something big is happening. You're willing to, to move differently through life and do your part of it, you know. So it's kind of like you're handling, handing what you can't deal with to that which can deal with it, and you're willing to take on whatever you're able to do um, you know, to proceed forward. And that's a really healthy spiritual approach. I love that. I'm thinking of the story that you've got in your book, High Energy Money, which is just terrific. And I'm assuming you can get that on your website too, right? Oh, yes, yes. Okay, good. So there's a story in it where somebody pulls out his wallet at a restaurant and sees that he's only got $2 in it to leave a tip. And he puts his wallet back in his pocket and turns to his daughter and says, what if I pulled out my my wallet and found another dollar there? And he does it until he gets six, I guess it's like, what, four different times, and he ends up with $6. I read that just thinking, my God, that's so amazing. I mean, I would sit there and go, oh, God, I don't have very much money to pay the tip. Can I borrow $2 or whatever? It wouldn't have occurred to me to put my wallet back in, into my purse and to pull it out again to see if there's any more money in it. I mean, that's just sheer magic to me. And I may not even believe that that's possible. I mean, yeah, that happened to me. And, and both of my daughters were there, um, but I... I kept turning to my older daughter just because she was sitting right next to me and my other daughter was across from us. And and you make a great observation, like who on earth would think to do such a thing? Well, at that point, I'd already been experiencing a number of years of these reality shifts and I'd written a book called Reality Shifts. So I've been researching and writing in this field for some time. However, up till that point, I had never done anything like this. I just knew that in general, these things can happen. And I also know when when you really have a sincere need, and especially when it's not for anything selfish, but it's something that it's it's just for the common good, like to give a tip to a hardworking waitress that you know her salary isn't very much, um, then then it's all for a good cause. And it, it was so wonderful because it was a playful moment. You know, each time I would open the wallet and take a look, and I just fish out whatever was there, which wasn't much. Then I would just turn to my daughter and say, "Should I look again?" And then she would be the one that enthusiastically would say, yes, and it's a game then, you see. And kids love, and my daughters both had seen these reality shifts. So, And I think children in general are pretty open to it. You know, We make fun of it when you, the psychologists study children. They actually talk about, like Piaget coined the term magical thinking. And what I'd love to do is, uh, you know, discontinue that kind of a stigma on magical thinking because to me that's quantum thinking i think children are in the right mindset you know children really do have it you know they're aware that that things can exist in different states and they 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 would recognize that that is possible so rather than getting to this wonderful age when suddenly we know these things don't happen i don't think that's so wonderful i think it's um, great that kids today are playing Minecraft with the quantum QCraft feature 
so they are able to see things teleport, transform, and you know, be in a superposition of states and be entangled so they move together. These are quantum properties, and all of us do that. We are all entangled with you know, people, and you can feel it in places and things. You know, this is how we get these intuitions, and it's the way coincidences occur. And it's, it's all of these quantum properties, this fundamental nature of consciousness. Let's go back a little bit because you mentioned a word that most people may not be uh, familiar with, and that's the word entangled. Could you substitute the word connected? You could. Entanglement, it has a specific meaning in physics, um, but you could totally just think of it as connected. because, And that's why I say that when you feel entangled with someone or something else, then you have intuitions about them. This is how you know... For example, who's on the other end of the phone when the phone rings sometimes. You just have that intuition. Or you think of someone, and then you get an email or a text from them, and you haven't talked to them in a long time. You know, these, mm-hmm. these are indicators that that connection is there. And that's a good word for it, connection. Well, that makes me think of when my dad died. I got the call at about 3 o'clock in the morning, and as soon as I heard the phone, and woke up, I knew exactly who it was on the phone, what they were going to say, and I was already starting to pack my bags mentally when I picked up the phone. Right. And that's really so being that, in a state of, uh, you know, being connected, like you say. Uh, or yeah. I don't know if that would have happened if I had been in a waking state, though. Right. And there's something special about being in that partway asleep, partway awake. Remember, I was talking about the subconscious never sleeps. And that's the part of us that's really running the show. Although we often, you know, everything we do seems to be based on conscious, the conscious mind. That's what we study in psychology primarily. These are the experiments we conduct, you know, when we have intention and so forth. We don't seem to study the subconscious. But at the same time, that's the part of ourselves that really is receptive, that that receives that information, that, that understands on some deep level that everything is connected and that we're part of that. Isn't it interesting that we've taken the conscious mind, which is, in my opinion, it's just it's a tool. It's a handy hammer with which to build the house. We've made that the boss with the subconscious mind being some mysterious, maybe even non-existing thing that people make fun of. I am loving seeing the reversal of that. I know. I love it, too. Exactly. And and this is what's so exciting to me about being in this dawn of the quantum age as we build these massive new quantum computers and spend millions of dollars doing that. And what what's really happening as the technology needs to come up to speed is these scientists, these engineers, they're proving that quantum effects definitely happen at room temperature with macroscopic things like diamonds that you can see and hold in your hands. They can now entangle diamonds at room temperature. Uh, this is a big deal because there used to be a belief that these quantum properties were only the the in happening in the realm of the very small, and they could they had to stay there. And now um, even biologists in this field of quantum biology are noticing that flocks of birds called starlings move just like liquid helium. They're they're moving just like a a quantum fluid that that has a an amazing property of coherence, so it all stays together. In other words, instead of one bird turning and then the ones near it start turning, because that's what scientists expected to see. But when they studied the movements of birds, it doesn't work that way at all. Starlings move as if they're one organism, all turning 
pivoting like exactly at the same time. You know, they all pivot, wow. they all move exactly the same. Just as if, um, it, it, it's just extraordinary. Now, this may not be so remarkable to you and I, but to people who thought uh, that that's not possible because you can't see something like that unless it's a controlled substance in a controlled environment, you know, they they don't expect to see quantum properties happening in physical organisms, but they are. They're happening <laughs> all over the place. Surprise, surprise, this has been going on for millennia. <laughs> That's right. Well, now you said another thing that, that people may wonder about. You were talking about how people thought these things could only happen in a small arena, and that now it can happen on a macro level at room temperature. What, is the, what has the temperature got to do with anything? Well, that has to do with... Um, I'll just give an example. The quantum computers that are now being built, such as the D-Wave 2 that NASA and Google purchased for millions of dollars, um, that operates with these niobium processors that in, a, in a very, very cold, cold environment. So it's kind of like uh, it's like a refrigerator that's also a computer because to get the kind of quantum effects that they need, uh, that's that's been the way that, that scientists are achieving these results. You know, they have to super cool things because that's when you can get a large something that's macroscopic and large, like a computer, to be in two states at once, to be both true and false. It's it's like a coin that it's both heads and tails, and it's everything in between. It's all probabilities, all possibilities. It's a different way of computing. <laughs> <laughs> that is so hilarious. You know, it makes me wonder why are they building a computer at all? Why? I mean, our our minds are the biggest, brightest, most amazing computers of all. What? Let's study the mind. <laughs> why are we doing it on a machine? Right. Well, people are studying the mind too, but they tend to look at the neurons. They tend to take it apart and look at the building blocks and think that they're finding something, but. Um, you know, they're just basically finding building blocks. They're finding neurons. And what some scientists are learning about consciousness itself is that there is very much a field effect going on within those neurons. And this is exciting developments in the realm of cognitive psychology, cognitive science, neuroscience. Um, because these fMRI scans, you know, it's like, you're right. It's like they, they spend so much money building new, newer and better machines, which then are basically... <clears throat> Um, showing us like okay when you when someone thinks this one thought they tend to have activity in this part of the brain but not always and it varies from person to person and you can't really localize a memory you can't see it on the scan of the fMRI in other words memories are not stored within a certain neuron they're stored it looks like perhaps holographically so uh, but the, the idea with quantum computers is the same reason that you'd build anything that humans build is just to extend our abilities so that we can work with tools that take us, that extend our ability to think and do things. Um, you know, just like we have cars to go farther and airplanes to, you know, to travel through the sky. And this is why the reason we do these things. And quantum computers are coming along right at the time when there's no more room to miniaturize the classical um, dinosaur computers that we now use. They're really from a different era, you know, because when these new quantum computers come along, they'll be working probabilistically. They'll be able to solve problems that classical computers have never been able to solve, like um, figuring out what kind of weather is coming next. You know, weather predictions are notoriously bad. You know, with our 
current algorithms, and we really need to be able to do things the way nature does, to be able to look at all possibilities and just be able to almost intuit, if you will, uh, what the best answer is, and instantly just jump to that correct answer, because that is what's happening with all of our senses, with our sight, with our hearing, with our smell, and I get into some of that in Quantum Jumps, but there's more and more research coming out all the time. And it's just showing that um, it's like it's like you said, we are wonderful quantum processors already. And so this is what the next step is to learn how to, you know, get more uh, sort of an enhancement, if you will, of these abilities. But because we haven't understood it very well, and we've I think we've been looking at it the wrong way for a long time, it it really requires yeah. a big mindset change. Well, let's look at it on a practical level. Well, let's look at it on a practical level. The statement, all possibilities exist simultaneously, is a really enormous concept. And like you say, it involves true, not true, yes, no, you know, all possibilities. So if we were to develop our intuition and to use that whole concept in our daily lives, what an amazing life we'd leave. What would be a start for somebody who wants to apply these principles to their lives? How would you have them start? Right. Well, I've got a whole chapter of quantum jump starts uh, just for, you know, just to get people going with scientifically laboratory, you know, scientifically proven laboratory tested things. Uh, the books Quantum Jumps is full, full of dozens of these. Uh, everything for how to improve relationships, to reduce pain, to become smarter, to have more willpower, be healthier, have more perseverance. So there are lots of these little fast, easy, in fact, usually cheap things you can do, and just dozens of them, actually. And that's why I've got a whole chapter full of them. And then for people like you and me that have been doing things like EFT and Reiki and meditating for years, um, then you can, that chapter may be like, ah, that's easy. And then you want to kind of do extra for experts. So you can move on. But some of the easy stuff is really cool, um, such as just, for example, if you want to reduce pain and you're feeling like you've got a headache or something and you don't happen to know the pressure point, you can just put your arms around yourself and hug yourself. And that's been scientifically proven, laboratory tested, to um, instantly start reducing pain. You know, just giving yourself that hug. And people you're kidding me. I'm that's been proven? You. It's been proven. I know. And, and why, why do people tell you these things? And so I've got lots of these things in the book that are just really fabulous, um, such as stretching out your arms and legs expansively to get confidence. And this can last and last, and it reduces the stress hormones and raises you know, the good hormones. So you get more testosterone, and you reduce the cortisol, and, you, and ever, other people notice that you've got more confidence. Just because you stretched out your arms and legs, you know, right before you went in for that job interview, right before you went in to contest your parking ticket or whatever, you know, whatever it is that you need to do to have confidence, people will just be impressed with how confident you are. And even if you don't feel confident, because often we don't, you know, right before that interview, right before some big thing um, that's rather stressful that we're not looking forward to, you can just go in the bathroom stall have some because pri- if you're wondering where are we going to do this, just walk into a, a private area and just stretch your arms out. Or you can even do it publicly if you're stretching. That's usually not considered too weird. Um, but some of these mannerisms are called they're called power postures, and some of them, such as leaning forward on a desk with both of your palms just resting on the table, 
leaning forward. Other people might um, at, as, sort of look at something like that and assume that you're trying to be, you know, taking over or, you know, that you're being a little bit excessive. Aggressive or something. Yeah, almost aggressive, right. So, yeah. so some of these things are better to do privately, but the effects can last for hours. So something you do just for a few moments can have a huge effect that other people notice, you notice, and it can be that small initial step that changes that journey of a hundred miles. Well, I think one of my favorite ones that you mentioned in here is to fake a smile for greater happiness. I know that one works. You know, it does. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and we've heard that over and over again too in our lives, and, and we probably think, "Oh, that's so silly. Making a smile is going to make me happier." But it's true; it does work. It really works. And people that feel like I can't even smile, well, then you can take a clean pen or pencil and put it in your mouth and just curl the corners of your mouth up because that is that is exactly how this particular thing was tested in the laboratory to see if it really works, and it really does. And, and these are people that were not smiling. That might even look like a grimace. You know, you're holding that pen in your mouth, turning the corners. <laughs> <laughs> to do is, is to think of something that's the opposite of something that they don't like. And because that, that opens up the possibility that there's something else that exists that they may not be acknowledging. And you know, once you think of something that's the opposite, then you can think of something that's maybe 45 degrees off of what's going on right now, or 90 degrees, or one degree. Wouldn't you agree with that? <laughs> I think that's great. Yeah, a lot of people, they have blinders on, and it's hard for them to realize that there's anything other than even something like true and false. They think that's all there is. But this quantum logic is introducing the idea of lots of shades of gray, where you've got true and false and not true, not false. And these concepts are pretty common in Eastern thinking in Asia. But Westerners have not been so oriented in that direction. So for us, it's really interesting to think, you know, we even have expressions like, um, you know, whose side are you on? Like it might just be one or two sides. And we, in our courts of law, we have guilty, not guilty. We don't have guilty and not, not guilty or mm. or not guilty and not not guilty. I don't know. <laughs> we kind of think like, of course, it's one or the other. But actually... <laughs> It's good to start thinking way outside that box because that's the way nature thinks and that's the way reality is constructed. Well, let's let's look at this a little bit more because something you mentioned is um, in the book, Quantum Jumps, is that there's like a mini space between one state and the next. It's like the state of everything no being or no being, everything being. There's There's like a kind of like jumping into quantum mud before <laughs> before you get to the new reality. And I think that if we can be encouraged to get to that state of in-between, yeah. that it would be easier, easier to make decisions. I agree. And this is where things like EFT, meditation, lucid dreaming come in. You know, anything you can do that can get you into that, you know, expanding that state of no thought, of just being in that that present moment, um, being in that state of, if you can um, contemplate being part of oneness, that's even better. Just recognizing that you're not limited just to your body. 
And the, the thoughts you think are your own, those are not really even your thoughts necessarily. I mean, you might wonder then, well, what are they? But sometimes things that drift through our mind, if you really look at them, it it is like, where the heck did that come from? You know, I don't remember thinking that. <laughs> it's it's yeah, almost like, yeah. like little dust particles floating through the air. And when you realize those are thoughts and you can just watch them come, watch them go, then you can get to that place of, um, you know, being in that state of mindfulness. And this this idea of meditation and mindful meditation is really taking off recently because, you know, it's making a difference. The Seattle Seahawks, the football team, went on to win the Super Bowl, and they credit their win to meditation that they were practicing every day. And even the opponents were noticing that team played like they were all one, like they all had it together. You know, they would move like like one organism. Like, And this is the kind of thing that can happen when you meditate, when you really expand that idea of who you are and how you're connected to everything else. And, and you get there by not thinking. So it's sort of the opposite of what you might assume. You know, people might think, well, you have to think really, really hard. Not really. Um, actually, you can just pay attention to just your breathing and and just learn to let all the other thoughts go and learn that that is not really who you are, that those thoughts, they're just random, really. You don't need to lock in and think that you're identified with that. That's an interesting concept. When you said, um, when you talked about the team functioning as one, I had this flash of people who are into quantum physics and consciousness raising and, and all that stuff that, you know, that we're doing here, we're one as well. And the work that we're doing is like a concert. You know, we're, we're playing, we're, or maybe we're growing a garden of consciousness. You know, we're doing it together and how magnificent that is. That is so true. And actually, a lot of I think the reason that these people, that, when you were doing the introduction for me, these physicists that you're mentioning, the way they came into my life was very um, synchronistic and very um, unexpected in some cases, almost magical, really. And and so I I would totally agree with what you're saying because you know even well of course it seems like a lot of these things happen in my life, but but I th- I think it's rather remarkable when people show up the way they do at the times they do. And it does seem like this is one big, huge, symphonic orchestral piece that we're writing, that we're choosing at this point in in human history to start understanding consciousness and get into this very fundamental aspect that Max Planck was talking about. But this is really the, the basis for everything, is consciousness itself. And yeah. quantum physics uh, is, is the challenge. You know, this is the one part of science that uh, no longer can we pretend that consciousness doesn't matter. No longer can we pretend that there's such a thing as an objective observer who doesn't affect things, who can just sit by and observe from a third-party standpoint. There is no such thing, and quantum physics really proves that with its most classic experiment of that double-slit experiment, which has been called the most uh, elegant experiment ever conducted in science. And that most elegant experiment if people aren't familiar with it, what it's really doing is it's showing that the very simple act of observation and when a scientist observes that a, a photon, um, that, a, that light is actually going through one of two holes in a barrier that is then landing on a screen behind it, 
So that's the, the experimental apparatus consists of a particle beam emitter, sort of like shining um, little particles of light, and then two little slits, two little holes in a piece of paper or a piece of cardboard or something, and then behind it a screen so you can see what happens. If an observer is watching um, and knows for sure which way the particle went, um, or it, it could also be a wave, but that's when the particles act like particles, and then you can see that the particle absolutely left sort of a splat like you'd expect it to leave. In other words, it, it's kind of hard to say this um, just on the radio, but um, this is one of those things where you have to imagine it like you're looking at it. But if you can imagine throwing it like a tennis ball through a hole, you'd expect the tennis ball would be acting like a particle. It would hit the, you know, the 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 wall that after it goes through that tiny little hole, and you'd if you um, covered each of these tennis balls in paint or chalk or something, then you'd be seeing a whole smattering of marks kind of in a similar area. Like this is where they all fly through and they hit the wall right there. And so that's what happens when there's an observer. And when the observer does not know for sure which hole the tennis balls or the, the quantum particles go through, what happens then is, is there's a, instead of that little clustering of marks, there's much more of a pattern of waves um, showing very much like what you, when you look at pebbles that are thrown in a pond, there's interference with the two sets of waves that come off the impact with mm -hmm. the water. And so it looks like that. It looks so like they that. so they act like more like possibility than act. Exactly. And so this is this is why if people are wondering, well, how do you know for sure that quantum physics proves that there is consciousness and you can't ignore it? That experiment is pretty much right there, adequate to absolutely show that we can no longer ignore consciousness. But there are other experiments in quantum physics as well. So it's. It's sort of like the more we look into quantum physics and notice that particles are entangled and they move together, like why the heck is that happening? It's kind of a two-edged thing because we're observing it and seeing that this is happening, and so it's right. happening. That's right. That's <laughs> what, what if we saw that it wasn't happening? Would it stop happening? <laughs> Good question. Yeah, it, it, it really it really makes me wonder about all these surveys and polls and and. Uh, researches and stuff, you know, where let's say a, a pharmaceutical company does a study on something, wouldn't the expectations of the survey takers or the, you know, whatever they're called, wouldn't that skew the results? I mean, it seems like you could get any kind of results you wanted. And this comes back to that thing I've never said on any other show except yours. I believe <laughs> all medicine, in fact, all science, I believe, you know, we've been dealing with this quantum effect, this placebo effect everywhere you know, through all of human history. That, that is exactly what I believe is happening. I, I believe quantum and consciousness is, is fundamental, just like what Max Planck said, and I believe it across the board, not just in the quantum scale. So we're absolutely getting that effect. And it's, it's amazing when you think about it. So that's, that's changed the way that we've, you know, been able to think that logic is primary and you can separate out the observer from the experiments, all these things. And now we're finding, no, you really can't. And it doesn't work that, that well. I mean, you can do it, but it's it's kind of like pretending, <clears throat> it's like playing hide-and-seek with yourself and pretending you don't know where you just hid. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk about money, because your book, High Energy Money, I think it's really important. It's a little book, but you stress the importance of 
having a relationship with money. You know, talk about that because I think that most people just think of money as money. And you know, a relationship with money. What does that mean? <laughs> oh, that's a wonderful <laughs> segue because <clears throat> that's the thing that really brings happiness back. Is you know, because I think that's exactly the missing piece in this Western way of life that we tend to forget all of our relationships, you know, with each other, with nature. And we actually do relate with everything, including money. And there is an energy to that. And once again, it doesn't need to be evil. You know, I'm not saying money is evil because it's not. It's Money is just yet another, some, it's like computers or clothing or, you know, lots of things that we, we love to have around and that are useful. It's a way of um, it, it helping us make exchanges in other areas in our life and keep track of the energy of that. So the relationship that we have with money, I mean, a lot of people can sense this, is really important because when you think about how you first felt about money, how it came to be part of your life, and the way people had attitudes about money when you were growing up, it's very different in a household where people had an easy affluence and and there was lots of money, no no shortage, versus a home where that was not taken for granted at all. Um, and perhaps in addition to it not being taken for granted, there was actually fearfulness about a lack of money. So so these are feelings that people have, you know, when you're when you're growing up, when you're very young and you're just feeling that around you, that's what you grew up with. And we then become familiarized with that, and it sort of becomes a set point for us without really thinking about what's going on and what that relationship with money is, we've got one, and it's built right in. And we just tend to assume everyone's the same if we even think of it at all, but we're not. You know, people that were born with that silver spoon in their mouth and the trust fund and no no shortage of money ever, they do not need to ever be concerned about money. You know, they, they might, and they might give it some thought, but it's a whole different thing for them as compared to someone whose parents were working double shifts and both parents were working and they never saw their parents really and they were expected to get a job as soon as they could. You know, that's a whole different thing. Mm -hmm. So it's just recognizing, first of all, like, okay, what is the starting point here? How do I really feel about money? And and then in addition to that, you might have had people telling you to the point that you internalized it that money is the root of all evil. And so there there's lots of self-talk that goes on related to money um, once again, on a very subconscious level. And so cleaning up that relationship is, starts with listening to find out where are you? You know, what, what are those messages about money that you're feeling and circulating and processing in your life right now? Because whatever you're doing subconsciously, it's just like a program that's always running in the subconscious. And that's creating, it, it's having a tremendous amount to do with creating the patterns of of money that you're seeing coming into your life, that you're finding, that you're keeping, that you're earning, that you're investing, that you're saving, you know, all these things. Yeah. Oh, boy, you've said so many things that, that I'm sitting here in my head with. Um, but one of the exercises you've got here is just really fabulous, remembering how you got rich. And when I first saw this, I thought, Oh, this is interesting. I wonder how I got rich, you know. And it immediately took me on a little journey internally of of going, hmm. You know, when I met that person, and when I did this thing, and then when I sold a piece of, a, a, you know, a painting or or did a class or something, 
you know, it opens up your mind so completely to new possibilities that you can't even think of. Why don't you Why don't you take us through a little bit of a um, maybe a two minute meditation on how to how to remember how you got rich? Yeah, let's do it. So, and this is I, I like the way you set it up because it it's a way to have fun with money. First of all, so that's the idea is getting you into that kind of childlike daydreaming state. So people that are listening, if you can close your eyes, if it's safe to do so. And if not, wait till it is. Uh, but, you know, obviously if you're driving or something, operating heavy machinery, don't do this right now. <laughs> Play it back and do it later. Okay, but having got that out of the way. So you want to make sure that you're able to just take some space and time to relax so that you can concentrate just for a few minutes undisturbed. And if you're able to, stretch out. Or, um, you know, kind of stretch your muscles the way cats and dogs do before they take a nap. You know, that's really good. And breathe deeply. If you need to yawn, yawn. If you want to lie down, lie down. And just clear your mind of everything else. So you can start imagining that you're meeting your future self. And it's not just any future self. You're meeting your financially prosperous future self. And you can... Just take a moment and feel that that's happening. And people, when you're daydreaming, sometimes you just have this knowingness. Sometimes you get a vision. So you might, you're imagining, people's imaginations work in lots of different ways. You might not be able to see anything, but just sort of have a sense of a presence or a brightness. That's cool. Whatever is coming to to you right now is perfect. That's just right. And as you're resting, make sure you're breathing deep breaths, just really relaxing, feeling peaceful and knowing that you're developing a good relationship with money now. That's part of why we're doing this, finding out how good this relationship with money can get. So the next thing to do is ask your financially prosperous future self, how did these riches come to you? So you can get any clues or indicators. And it may or may not make any sense. So just be open to whatever comes through. You might get a feeling. You might get some words. If you're able to jot them down, write them down, that would be really good right after this. But in the meantime, you're going to remember what it is. You'll remember. And listen and observe. Really sense if you're getting any glimpses, words, visions, or any kind of explanation of how this future prosperity is coming to be. And no matter what you're getting, we can close this one by just making sure that you you can actually shake hands with your future self. Just reach forward and say thank you. And at the same time, know that just by thanking your future self, you are now pulling yourself into that future. You've made a really strong connection there. And even if you don't feel like you got anything that's useful and you feel like I don't remember it or whatever, it doesn't matter because you will now be drawn to that future it's a sure thing you're locking it in and you can do this again anytime you like if you want to get further information maybe you got a few insights and you'd like some more you can do this again and get further information and each time you make the connection you'll be strengthening this bond and when you're ready you can open your eyes and get some paper and pen you can write that down what information if anything came through And if nothing came through, you could just get that book, High Energy Money, at realityshifters.com. Whoa, that was so cool. (laughs) (laughs) It was fun. 
I got I got this immense feeling of amazement. You know, that my future being was just amazed that all these things were happening, and she was comparing her her previous life, which was struggle and poverty and more struggle and <laughs> opposition and obstacles. She said all of a sudden it just dropped away because I just started feeling gra- gratitude, and the more I felt, the more I got and. She, she was in this state of amazement. You know, people were coming up to her and hugging her and buying her paintings and buying her sculptures and listening to her radio show. <laughs> and it was just really cool. Thank you. That is so cool. I love it. You're welcome. <laughs> and thank you for sharing that because then it gives people a sense of what's possible and, you know, the kind of things they might be getting too. And and it can be something just like amazement. It can be a feeling. But then notice how that feeling then drew you into it and you got so much more out of it. Like, well, that's all it takes. <laughs> and you're so right. You know, often it's just getting into that relationship with money, that state of bliss and gratitude. And and, and that's the way a lot of people who have money feel. You know, they've got that easygoing feeling about it, that confidence. And you can have it, too. That's perfect. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, too. <laughs> I love the... Um there was a, like a heart swellingness to it that, that made me feel like my body was like ten times bigger than it is, you know, my energetic body. Oh, it's so where awesome. I could, oh, it was really cool. Oh, I'm giving you a big hug all the way across the ocean. I can feel it. <laughs> oh, that's so wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, well, thank you. Well, now the, let me ask you the daring question because I ask everybody this. Since you're a daring person, out of all the daring things that you've done in your life, what has been one key thing that you've done that has gotten you to where you are now? Wow. I have to say it's just listening to that that small voice inside, you know, just having the courage to, you know, listen to the and walk to the beat of a different drummer. It just really walk my talk and, um, you know, leave corporate world behind because I'd been making good money. I was a project manager, you know, for a city bank, and there was a lot of money there. And I just walked away from it, and I didn't come back to that corporate world, at least not yet, but instead have been building this entire, um, you know, just really believing in what I'm doing and walking my talk about sharing ideas and, you know, having the courage to follow that dream, to see that this is what, I can be to follow and trust that vision of from my future self and you know, walk right into that dream. Pretty much exactly the meditation we just did. You know, I'm not just giving this as an idle thing of, oh, you could do this and it, it might work. No, I'm totally, this is exactly what I'm doing and it is working. And so, but to, but to say that that takes no courage would be a lie. So it, it is the most daring thing I've ever done. And, mm. you know, obviously, you know, my family would look at that like, what are you doing? <laughs> And so that can happen. You can have family and friends wonder, what the heck? But but do it anyway. Well, you know it's right when you light up with energy, when you have this whole, when you, when you feel expanded with energy, like you just described. And when you get that feeling, then you know it. you're on the right track, and that's that's how I feel. So, mm. yeah, I know it, and I just keep going. I keep going where that inspiration is, and it's scary. It's it. You know, I'd say it gets easier, but there's always some new challenge, something new exciting that stretches me further than I've ever been, and I just keep going there. So, yeah. Whew. 
so your very state of being, your 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 MO is being daring. Well, not by nature. I'm I'm basically a triple Capricorn, so I'm one of the more cautious people you'll ever meet. Whoa. <laughs> I know. I know. Capricorn Moon, Capricorn Venus and Mars. Oh my but goodness. I know. I know. So no, I think and that's what shocks my family, like my parents, my sister, they're like, What the heck? <laughs> but now yes, I'm quite daring, yes. But but with cautious, you know, with I'm practically daring. I'm I'm the pragmatic daring one. Well, I like that pragmatic daring. That that's that's really a good phrase. I like that a lot. Yeah, that makes sense because you know it's not like you're just being a a, a daredevil, right? Yeah, doing I'm, it I'm to not a, get your kids. Would, you know, yeah, nobody would call me a daredevil. <laughs> 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 not by any stretch, but but at the same time, I do things people don't, and you know, like I do martial arts. I, I do lots of things that people would consider daring or difficult, but. But to me, it's it's pragmatic. So it's you know very very measured and very it's um, within it's 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 optimizing life really. So there's a way to be daring in an optimal fashion, and you know I believe in that. I like that word, optimizing life. That's good. Well, Cynthia, this has really been fun. I I really appreciate your point of view and what you're doing in the world, and and I'm so glad that. I asked you to come here and be my guest today. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I, I've just had a wonderful time, and I, I love everything we talked about. I think this is a life-changing show for people. I hope it it is, and I'd love to hear from people. And thank you so much, Angela. I, I just love being on your show. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, now you uh, talk about people finding you and, and telling you what they feel about this. How would they do that? How would they contact you? Um, the best way is through email, and my email is Cynthia at RealityShifters.com, and that's the website, okay. RealityShifters.com, so the email would be Cynthia at RealityShifters.com. Okay, and are you on Facebook so people can go like and like and love you? I'm on <laughs> Facebook, Twitter, and the, the the place that's most active of all is YouTube. People love the videos, and I've got meditations and I've got a video on how to see your aura that people love. You know, you can see your aura in less than four minutes. And lots of videos about quantum physics that make it understandable, quantum jumping, high-energy money. You know, some of the things we've talked about, just really short little videos on pretty much any topic you like. And, and I don't know why the YouTube thing is growing like it is, but, wow, it's really taking off. So there's That's a lot of, really exciting. It is exciting. Cool. Okay. So this has been Angela Treat Lyon on Daring Dreamers Radio at idareyouradio.com, and I am so delighted to have had Cynthia on my show today. She's just a delight. I want you to look her up at realityshifters.com, and I want you to get her books, Quantum Jumps and High Energy Money, because I think when you study them and do the exercises in them, that your world can really, really make a big change. And this is exciting because we're looking at a future that's really bright. So I encourage you to be audacious, bodacious, outrageous, and bold and as alive as you can possibly be. And I'll see you on the next show. 